like what we do here at Clever, please consider supporting the show. To make a one-time donation, click the link in the episode description. Thank you. This episode of Clever is brought to you by Interface. Space today, a positive space that's being designed today, is not monolithic. It's variable and can provide all of those sort of micro-environments so that the people can work you know, better, that they can heal faster, that they can learn more effectively. And the cool thing is, is that that's not some decorating trend. That is backed up by real data, and that's global data that's building around how effective it is for people, individuals, to, to have, you know, to be empowered and to have control over their day and their space. Hi, everyone. I'm Jamie. I'm Amy, and this is Clever. Today, we're doing something special. We're tackling a subject rather than a designer. I mean, not that we actually tackle designers. We're not that rough. I just mean that we're going to do a deep dive into one of our favorite topics, the evolving workplace. We teamed up with Interface, makers of modular flooring systems and everyone's favorite floor carpet tiles, to tackle this subject from all angles. Interface has recently launched a campaign around positive spaces, which are spaces that inspire, support, and accommodate for a healthy and productive workplace. We're talking to Chip DeGrace, a product designer and the chief design officer with Interface, and Beth Davis, a specialist in corporate interior design. They both have a lot to say about how to address the needs of the modern workplace. So let's talk to Chip and Beth. My name is Chip DeGrace. I am the design lead for Interface Incorporated globally. So what that means is that there are several design teams around the globe, and we are all one big team. So the folks that design product, the people that help customers apply product, and then there's a group of designers who work to sort of integrate all of our sort of touch points to the customer via websites and spaces and communications. Those people are part of this bigger design team, and I am blessed to be able to lead all of those folks. That's a big, important position. (laughs) Yes, it is. (laughs) Weighs heavily. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I hope you get some sleep at night. There's a lot of people to worry about. (laughs) Your bio refers to you as the corporate design conscience of interface and floor brands. And, you know, these days, some people are suspicious that corporate and conscience aren't exactly terms that belong together. So. Let's tackle that right off the bat. What's your primary mission and purpose as the corporate design conscience of Interface? My primary mission as the corporate design conscience, if you will, is to make certain that our designs, whether they be product or whether they be interactions with our customers, are generous in their approach and that they serve all equally. And that's That's a broad abstract thing to say, but we try to make certain that on issues of materials and process and all of those things that add up to what a product is and how it behaves and how it serves and how it can be reclaimed, that those things aren't necessarily part of what a customer would know or could know. And so we try to take care of that in a way that they would be proud. We try to be responsible in all those decisions so that when we finally do meet with a customer, she's more focused on color and pattern She can trust that we have been responsible in all the choices we've made up until that point and that we will help her make a responsible choice for her customer if it's a designer or for her space if it's an end-use customer. That's also a lot of responsibility. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
Beth Davis, and I am the Senior Vice President of Real Estate, which is part of a corporate team for a global executive search and leadership advisory firm. And in my current role, I oversee not only the financials, but the design for over 50-some offices in about 28 countries. From the design field, you see that a company invests a lot in office space, and it's expensive. So you have to ensure that it's done wisely. I believe that a productive, healthy, and exciting workplace is important. And in this role, I get to influence and ensure that that happens. So at this point, you're working with architects and designers directly? I am, yes. So leading the design of these commercial interiors, you've been responsible for workplace revisioning and brand positioning of a lot of big companies. Can you tell us what that means and how the design of a space is part of the DNA of an optimal workplace? I think really what the most important thing is truly how to understand your client not only in the present, but in the future, including culture and the demographics and the work process. That is one of the most important things, I think, of creating the best workplace for any of your clients. We approach it a little bit differently. We have guidelines versus standards. If you take it from the baseline and if you look at those guidelines, it is always about a healthy workplace. It is always about bringing light into the space. It is always about how are people going to interact How do you support your work process and the people within them? When we start out with any project, we always go to the end user first. And because we work in such varied locations with kind of diverse cultures, and it's important to understand the dynamics of any office because it varies. And you have to listen to that. I work with Gensler as our outside design consultants, and with them, we look at a particular location and you know whether that is Minneapolis or Frankfurt, Hong Kong, Mumbai, the aesthetic design differs. We always go to any given market and we start to take a look at what that culture is and we look at the functional aspect, but we also look at how the aesthetic design might change. You know, Mumbai was injected with great color. versus Frankfurt, where I kept noting that, think about precision and sophistication of Mercedes-Benz from the aesthetic standpoint. It sounds to me like you do a pretty in-depth anthropological portrait of what you're trying to achieve. Exactly. The aesthetics become that overlay to the functional piece. And of course, the aesthetics are the fun part of any project. And so, again, you bring that color that is great within any particular region and you kind of work out from even what are some of the festivals that are are, that are any given culture or or what is an industry in any particular place and you pull those parts and pieces and you can implement that in almost very subtle ways. We never want any of our projects to become somatic, but you integrate that in so that people who sit within the space are comfortable within it. And sometimes there's a portion of the space like the cafe or something like that where it's a very fun piece to the project. For example, in Hong Kong, graffiti artists are very prevalent kind of artistic expression in Hong Kong. And we had this great piece where a graphic artist or a graffiti artist came in and created a mural really for our particular group. And they got such a kick out of it. And it was really kind of a give back to that local team. 
that wasn't really functional, but created a space that they felt to which they had contributed and reflected a piece of Hong Kong to them as well. We're in a bit of a workplace renaissance, if you will. What excites you particularly about how the workplace is evolving and how does that influence your process? Yeah, you know, I love this because I'm not afraid of change because I think it keeps things exciting and I think new workplace evolves because the work process is changing. You know, the latter really drives the, the evolution and understanding new processes mean you need to be strategic in the workplace response. And I love the strategic aspect of anything that I do. What excites me, I think, about the current office renaissance is that it's less based on uh, aesthetic and fashion. It's really based on providing environment and, you know, connecting with what people need, connecting with their sort of well-being. It's interesting. I, I was an interior designer many years ago back in the 80s, and we designed a very large space and weren't so focused on individuals. We were focused more on workstations and workstation types and propagating them across a footprint. And I think that the practitioners of interior design today are very much focused on people and more than people, the individual. And so a positive space is one that provides flexibility and variability the tools for her to do her job and the permission to do it. And and it makes that easy for a, a user of a space to, to sort of navigate her day. And whether that's in office space, which is a lot of what we participate in, or higher education or healthcare or hospitality, all of those spaces, I think, today are being, are, are focused on people and creating positive experience for people. And there is no monolithic approach. Um, again, even in office space, I think that uh, designers and their customers are trying to provide for spaces that are extremely uh, flexible and can respond to what people need throughout their day. So in the morning, you may need you know heads down work, and so you need to find a space in a you know larger space, a smaller space that can afford you that. But you know by noon, you're looking to to eat and to collaborate, and so you need a space that's maybe more active and where you can find your coworkers. Uh, after lunch, you want to fall asleep, so you need maybe a space more active near the, <laughs> near the window or you know, more colorful space that maybe is honestly a little bit more acoustically live, uh, maybe on hard surface. It might be you know, not, so, not so quiet. Space today, a positive space that's being designed today, is not monolithic. It's variable and can provide all of those sort of micro-environments so that the people can work you know, better, that they can heal faster, that they can learn more effectively. And the cool thing is, is that that's not some decorating trend. That, that is backed up by real data, and that's global data that's building uh, around how effective it is for people, individuals, to be empowered and to have control over their day and their space. You know, design's purpose is to serve people. So the more control that we can give to the users of space, the more exciting it is. The individual is becoming more central to the design of spaces. Yeah. In looking at the data and in looking at how this has shifted to the individual, do you have a sense of why it's moved toward that? Well, I think there's a greater understanding of what makes a business successful. I think that researchers understand that not every job is the same and not every person in those 
jobs is the same. And so to the extent that we can understand what motivates people throughout their day and, you know, without making custom workstations for everyone, giving that range of generational worker and a range of disciplines, flexibility and work choice, you know, that's where the action is. And it's been proven that things like natural daylighting and higher exchanges of air uh, in a space or, you know, acoustics when people need them or, you know, color and excitement when people need them all contribute to a happier workforce and one that's, you know, more productive, more creative. And inherently, how can that be bad for a business? I just think that this course is more sophisticated today than it was, you know, 20, 30 years ago. Customizing or doing bespoke projects, is that a new trend in the way that offices are interacting with manufacturers and design teams as well? I think they're looking for flexibility to the extent that someone can find literally what they need or, you know, something as simple as stay where you are, but, you know, raise your desk and push your chair back and stand up for an hour. You know, that sort of bespoke or that sort of customization, even to your workstation, I think is exciting for businesses because they can they can support the multi-generational workforce they have. They can, you know, allow for greater sensitivity to specific workers' needs. And and that's a great recruitment tool. It's a great retainment tool. I think flexibility in any workplace is important Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. I don't think any individual works the same. And if you're working in any kind of creative process, whether it's numbers or some kind of thought process and strategy, you're going to need to engage with other people. Mm -hmm. So I think that you need to be able to provide productive places for people to put their heads together to think about how are we going to approach this. Do you find that creating spaces that are flexible and more adaptive to individuals is harder or do you think it's easier than the one-size-fits-all prescription that was used in the past? Are there particular products that you specify for these kinds of environments? You know, acoustics is really important for any of those kinds of environments because if you're putting... thank you. (laughs) Thank you for saying that. I cannot stand a space where they haven't bothered to worry about the acoustics because it's absolutely nerve-jangling. I can't be productive in a place where it's just too clangy and echoey, yeah. Right, exactly. I will tell you, acoustics is probably one of the first things we talk about in any one of our projects. And that includes whether you are in a private space or whether you are out in an open area. And because more people are out in open areas in closer spaces, and there may be collaboration spaces close by, the acoustics become that much more important. So yes, incredibly important. It's also important in how do you configure your space. You don't necessarily put your collaboration space next to an open plan where you know the accounting team sits. You know, it's one of those things where you try and be fairly logical. What kinds of products can support your acoustic treatments? Everything from, of course, the carpeting that we use to things such as there's great felt products that can be applied to walls. We're always very careful about this even up to the ceiling tiles. The ceiling tiles that we use, we use a lot of glass wall systems if in our private spaces to allow the light through, but the quality of those glass wall systems is incredibly important in order to ensure that the sound transference doesn't occur. 
Do you find that specking upholstered furniture also helps with acoustics? You know what? Um, it depends on the room. Depends okay. on almost the ratio of <laughs> the ratio of upholstery to to the you know to the room. Yeah. The other thing, of course, is sound masking that goes into a, a lot of our spaces now. Because even though you still hear things, the ability to kind of muffle that a little bit is important. Yeah. And how can flooring systems support the changing rhythms of the individual and all of the different people that work in a space? When you think of flooring, most people probably yawn. It's probably the least <laughs> exciting medium. Most people walk on flooring and don't necessarily notice what they're walking on. And architects and designers have many, many tools in their quiver to use to design space. So flooring sometimes is not the first medium for someone to think about positive space or flexible space. But at Interface, we don't design like a floor, a sheet material that just, you just roll out. You know, it's always been built. In other words, it always has been built from pixels or pieces. We believe that floor covering, specifically our modular system, can be a great medium to sort of support architecture and lighting and, and furniture and all those other choices that designers and architects and their customers have to create positive space, that the floor can seamlessly change from hard to soft, from, from loud to quiet, from, from soft enough to actually lay on the floor to something that you, know, you can mop up. In our vocabulary, you know, all of those things can work together in a way that isn't stops and starts. It's very integrated and works beautifully across an office space or, again, any commercial space. You know what? We do use Interface Floor for almost all of our projects worldwide. And part of that is, you know, I mentioned quality previously, but we know what the quality is that we're getting. And it doesn't matter where you are in the world that will be delivered to you. So the other thing is with the interface product is the acoustic aspect of it. It is also the ability to be creative with that product. And almost anywhere that you are, you can do different things with the carpeting. And if you have to be spare in what you're spending on any particular office, the carpet can be a great asset to that and add liveliness. You have buildings that may direct long corridors. You can break it up. And so it just creates a nice dynamic throughout the space, introduction of color, all those kinds of things that you can do. The other thing that is really important to us is that we build to the standard of lead for the health of the space. We don't necessarily go for certification, but we build to that quality. And if you are in places where air quality is paramount, such as, say, Beijing, you really need to ensure that any product that you install into an office, that you know that it's a safe product and that it will provide a healthy environment to your clients. That's really interesting. But what about other products that you feel like are supporting the changing workspace? Well, certainly furniture has a big role to play. You know, it's what we sit on. It's what we, you know, put our our computers on, uh, depending on your discipline. It's what we draw on. And, you know, furniture's always had a role to play in supporting, you know, human activity. Lighting systems are also key. Mechanical systems are key in supporting positive space because again it's you know what it's like to be in a room where it feels it feels stuffy and you can't open a window so air exchanges and the cool thing is is that 
all building systems and all furniture and fixtures and equipment must come together, I think, in an integrated way to create a space that feels connected and one that is free of inhibitions to, you know, you being comfortable, you finding controls. How many rooms do you go into where you can't control the temperature or you can't even control Mm -hmm. the lighting? Mm -hmm. And I think Mm -hmm. a, a big part of the suite of elements in built space is the ability to control that, to have furniture on wheels, to have furniture that goes up and down, to have different furniture that you can either move or move to. Again, as I said, having windows that open, having access to daylight, having thermostats that are controllable, having specific kinds of rooms to access. All of those things are contributors to positive space. And you need not be prescriptive. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily know exactly how you two work during the day, but if I could provide a range and show you where those are and explain to you what the benefits of those are, then you could find positive space regardless you know, of what time of the day it was and what it was you needed. You talked about all of these different elements still being connected. Yeah. And you also mentioned connection earlier in terms of being able to connect to your well-being, being able to connect to other coworkers. And I'm wondering if you can elaborate on why you believe connection is important and how you believe the built environment can enhance connection. Yeah, I think connection is important because it's some part of our day. If we need heads down work and we need to focus, that doesn't mean we necessarily need to sit in a sensory deprivation tank. If we could have acoustic privacy in a phone booth but still have visual access to our team and our team could see us, that gives a unity to the group. And so you know, spaces that are that are devoid of partitioning certainly by themselves are not necessarily positive spaces. But I think a degree of connectivity between human beings is a positive thing. And it, again, helps us heal. It helps us learn. It also helps us work. I think, you know, if you've read in any of the current media about big companies who have allowed workers to utilize home officing have begun to call those people back, realizing that it's more effective for everyone to engage on a regular basis and to almost force that to happen through, you know, very intentional locations of shared services like cafes and and restrooms and libraries and those kinds of things. Planners and designers are using the location of those things to actually encourage connection between people. So much happens in the interstitial spaces, the spaces that are unplanned, you know, you actually see someone, you're like, hey, I, I was looking for you, and instead of sending you an email, why don't we just talk about that right now? Systemically, or from a connectivity perspective, connections between materials or connections between systems, again, is to the benefit of the user and to the overall experience. So that you're not walking decidedly from one space into another, but it's more of a flow as if you were outside in a natural environment where you walk, you know, from a clearing into a wooded area. I mean, it's not a cold heart start and stop. It's a sort of a migration. And the best interior spaces have some of that sort of connection or systemic connection between, you know, types of rooms and types of spaces. I'm seeing it as a topography. Yeah, it's akin to a more natural space. It's what you find in nature. Yes, it changes from spaces that are tighter and you can find refuge to something where you've got a vista and you can see it, but it doesn't go from black to white. There's migration in there and there's continuity in how one space moves to another or an environment moves to the other. And that gives us comfort and connectivity so that you feel like you're in one space, but there's transition. Nature's a great model for many things, but it's a really good model for that. 
I think when a lot of us talk about offices that are dark or just unappealing or just make you feel like you're in a basement, we're always like, where's the sky? We need vitamin D. Let's go see the sun. (laughs) So, you know, the outdoor metaphor is pretty strong with the office for sure. After the design of a workplace has been fully implemented, what's your method for determining if it's working optimally as you hoped? Like, what's your criteria for a successful, positive space? You know, as designers, going back to when I was an interior designer, you like to design space and have it a certain way. And the thought of it being manipulated by the user is, uh, is dis, you know, disarming a little bit or upsetting at some level, you know, that they're going to mess it up. <laughs> I think what's happening today in the design of space and architecture is that designers are allowing for that to happen. In fact, they're designing that to happen. And they find interest in seeing how a space has been hacked or how it's been manipulated a year in. And I think the measure of success is not whether or not you can go back and photograph it if it looks exactly like the photograph on day one. But I think the measure of success is whether the people in that space own it, you know, whether they feel positive about it. Yeah. I mean, that's, that is the current measure of success, which is exactly where it should be. So whether they've moved the carpet because it's <laughs> modular or they've moved the furniture or the lighting or, you know, it doesn't much matter because hopefully you've designed it such that there's something harmonious about whatever happens within that space. You know, whatever the final arrangement, that the vocabulary is such that it still will make sense. So the workspace is still work, right, for everybody that's going to this office. Do you... Yeah. So do you think that it's really possible for workers to feel alive and creative and their best at work in the office space? I hope so. I think that's that's why I do what I do, because I think it is so important and done it for quite a while. And I take it very seriously. We create really healthy spaces comfortable spaces, spaces that you can meet with your colleagues and interact differently. But, you know, I will say, I think that you can thrive and feel alive at work. But I also think one of my mantras is you have to thrive and be alive outside of work as well. I absolutely believe that office space can be energizing and can be fun and can be dynamic and can contribute to your health and well-being. I certainly have been in, I think probably all the listeners have been in bad spaces that just bum you out, that sort of yes. suck the life out of you. I think at the other end of the spectrum are, are spaces that invite engagement and involvement and choice and absolutely can facilitate not only your personal need in any given moment, but can foster collaboration. They can, it can foster engagement with your coworkers. I am a designer at heart, and I I absolutely believe that well-designed, intentional, flexible, positive space can make a huge difference to the human being day to day. Amen to that. Well, where can we direct our listeners to find out more about Interface and Positive Spaces? Well, you can go to interface.com, and right there on the homepage, you can find out all kinds of stuff about positive spaces. And we look forward to people visiting not only the website, but we have showrooms around the globe. We look forward to seeing people in in person come in and talk about it. And hopefully we can can work together on their own positive space. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye now.
what he was saying about going back and looking at a space after people have been using it for a year to judge whether or not it's been successful is really interesting and not something I really ever thought about when it comes to interior design. But even if they've moved things around, if they're still using all of the same products that you specified for those spaces, you know, to be used in multifunctional ways, it sounds like that would be successful. I think like the worst case scenario would be like you come back and like the rug's been ripped up and replaced with something else or there's like <laughs> totally different things in the space, you know, so it, it's an interesting way to measure success, even if they're using it in a different way than maybe you intended, you've given them the tools to create their own usable space. I love that there's data, lots and lots of data to support that, hey man, the workforce isn't one homogenous group of people. Like they're all different kinds of people and they need different settings and different stimuli or reduction in stimuli and atmospheric conditions in order to work their best, be their best and connect with their team in a way that's like gonna serve the business and the human. I think this trend towards the individual is absolutely the way it needs to go. I'm very excited about it. Yeah, I think the idea of nurturing people and giving Mm -hmm. them, number one, all of the tools, but also like the level of comfort so that they can focus on their work and giving them multiple options for different kinds of work is really important because I know like if I'm sitting in a super uncomfortable chair or it's terrible lighting, you know, I'm going to start to yawn and I'm not going to want to do my work. But like if I've got like multiple places where I can go where I feel comfortable and happy, but you know, I, I'm not going to be disturbed. I'm going to work better and I'm going to be more productive and I'm just going to overall be happier. It highlights two things that I think are really great is for a long time, we had this idea that one size fits all is good for a large general population. But that means that one size doesn't fit anyone all that well. The other thing that's really key is it means corporations, businesses, culture in general is now willing to look at and celebrate the individual personality and not lump you all into this group and call you a number, right? So individuals are able to be who they are. And now company culture is saying, hey, that's important to us too. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about Interface and Positive Spaces, go to interface.com or follow them on Facebook and Instagram at Interface and Interface Inc. on Twitter. Please subscribe to Clever on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Connect with us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Clever Podcast. We love hearing from you. This special Clever Extra episode was edited by Ty Navaris with music by L1011.